Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. There are two readings tonight. The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. And this can be found on page 728 in the Church Bibles. That's Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1, and that can be found on page 728. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. The second reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, and this can be found on page 1002. That's Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, and that can be found on page 1002. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heidi, very much. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, uh, nice to see a few sort of new faces, faces I don't recognize as well. Um, for you then, my name is Matthew. I'm a member of staff here at church, and uh, I'm very happy to be speaking on uh, uh, the next passage in our, our Mark series. Why don't we pray before we get into it? Our Father in heaven, you do speak, so please speak to us now as we read your word. By the power of your spirit in our hearts, might we hear and believe, and most of all, might we see Jesus. Please, Lord, open our eyes to see him today. 
Amen. What sort of hero do you want? A perfect hero or a flawed hero? Flawed heroes are all the rage these days, aren't they? Films used to have uh, strong characters who could cope with every situation. They were never emotionally stirred. They would never do anything dubious, anything morally questionable. You're sort of classic Superman, for example, sort of quite one-dimensional, really. Now we want to see a bit more of the person, see how they feel, see how they doubt themselves, uh, see those questionable motives, see the mistakes that they make. We like the flawed hero because they're a bit more like us, a bit more believable. One of my favorite songs is My Hero by the Foo Fighters. It came out in 1997, so many of you won't know it. Um, it gets covered every now and then, so you, you might know it from, uh, from one of the covers. Uh, it's about the failure of a hero. He leaves a mess behind, and the key line in the chorus is this. There goes my hero. He's ordinary. Amusingly, my twin boys have picked up a certain expression from me which they now say about some of the characters in their TV shows. We might be watching some cartoon like Spidey and his amazing friends, and, uh, and I'll ask something like, is that Hulk? Is he a goodie or a baddie? And, uh, and they'll say, they're four-year-olds, remember? Uh, they'll say, Daddy, he's a complex character. <laughs> We like flawed heroes because they're a bit more like us. Do you know this desire actually plays out in leaders and celebrities trying to show how normal they are, that they live ordinary lives even though we suspect that they don't. It's so that we'll like them more. Now, we're reading the account of the life of Jesus and I'm not going to say that Jesus is a flawed character or ordinary, far from it. But I want to say that that desire to connect with the hero, that really matters. And Jesus, he does answer that for us. He wants to connect with us too. And we'll see today that he makes that a priority. But on the other hand, we'll see that he really is far beyond us. And that's exactly what we need. We need both. Both parts mean that he can be the saviour of the world. This is Mark's Gospel. It's a biography of the life of Jesus. It's not dry and sort of simply objective as some biographies. It's told as an announcement of good news. If you were here last week, you remember 1 verse 1 said that. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began with two testimonies backing that up, one from the Old Testament scriptures, one from John the Baptist, and today we see the third testimony, the biggest of all, the testimony of God the Father. As we take in the story of the baptism and then going out into the wilderness, I want us to see two things then. First, Jesus joins in with us, and second, Jesus is much greater than us. So first, Jesus joins in with us. Verse 9. 
At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Everyone else was doing this. That's what's just happened in the verses beforehand. They were going out to John the Baptist and being washed in that river. Remember, it was symbolizing repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's saying to God, I'm sorry for all that stuff I've done wrong. I want a fresh start. So it's Jesus going for baptism for the same reasons. Is he a sinner too, needing cleansing and forgiveness? That might be a puzzle for us. Well, elsewhere in the gospel, it becomes very clear that Jesus is perfect, without sin at all. In fact, it soon becomes clear that he's the one that sin is against. And he's the one who can forgive sin. So he's not being baptized for his own cleansing. It must be something else. Well, the answer is he's joining in. He's saying, I'm one of you. This is where you all are. This is what you're doing. So here I am too. Maybe a poor analogy is like a parent joining in with their child who's having treatment. Maybe they've got a bandaged arm, so the parent bandages their arm as well. Or sometimes you see this, you see a parent shaving their head when their kid is going through chemo. They don't need it themselves, but they're joining in because they care so much. I think it's something of that with Jesus. At the baptism, we get this voice from heaven. We're going we're to skip over that, but we will come back to it. But look now at verse 12, because this is then another unexpected thing to happen. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. You wouldn't expect Jesus to get baptized, nor would you expect this. After the great affirmation from God, he's sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. But again, it's joining in. And you might say, how's he joining in? There's no one in the wilderness, just wild animals. Well, the wilderness is important biblically. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, right at the beginning of their story, after the rescue from Egypt, before coming into the promised land. And they were tempted in that time. They fell into sin again and again. They were learning about God. They, they were experiencing his constant provision. They were seeing his holiness and his justice and his grace. It was formational for them. Hundreds of years later, there was another wilderness experience for them. They went off into exile, taken across the wilderness to Babylon because of their sin. And again, it was a time of relearning about their God. It was formational. And then the interesting thing about the wilderness then is that it's hard and they sin and it's not good but God brings about good there. He shows them grace out there 
in the wilderness. In Isaiah, this big theme develops of God promising to bring life in the wilderness, streams of living water in the desert. In hope, they should look to the wilderness. So back to Jesus. He immediately goes out into the wilderness as a way of joining in. 40 days matches the 40 years. Being tempted just as they were, his story had to start in the wilderness to be just like them. And then maybe, just maybe, this might actually be the start of God bringing that life we all need out from the wilderness. You see, I think we do all have a sense of being in the wilderness sometimes. Sometimes we feel alone. God's not near. Our friends are not near. New students, you might feel like this. Or we feel spiritually dry, no connection with God, no life in us. And we're tempted to sin, to do what we know is not right, and and we give in. Let's be honest, we all know this experience, being in the wilderness. But Jesus joined in with us. As we'll read through Mark's gospel, we'll see him dealing with it all too, just like us. The opposition, and the frustrations, and the pain, and the temptations We'll see him joining in with Israel and and their particular history, but we'll see him joining in with all humanity and what is universal to us all. And how does that make us feel as we read? It encourages us, surely. He's not distant. He's not distracted. He's not even watching from, from a distance, even attentively. He actually came. And he joined in. As football fans sing, he's one of our own. Or the more niche reference, he's one of us, one of us. Or more seriously, he's like a parent who cares so much, he shaves his head. And that means we can be honest with him about what we find hard or or when we've failed. We don't need to put a perfect image on for Jesus or for anyone else for that matter. He gets it. So talk with him about it. Be honest. I guess there are some students here who have come up this weekend. Student life will have its challenges, feeling like a wilderness for some of you. Maybe the work. Maybe missing home. Maybe it's hard finding a new church. None's like your home church. Maybe missing Christian friends. Maybe it's the pressure of Freshers Week. I remember my Freshers Week. I messed up. I've seen lots of Freshers Weeks. I used to live on Encliffe Fell Road opposite Encliffe Village. I remember watching it sort of happening live. There's this immediate desire to make friends. You're thrown together with unknown people in your flats and there's a pressure to drink, isn't there? There's a, there's a pressure to be a certain sort of person, to be cool, to be fun. 
On the one hand, you know it's not really the way you want to live, but on the other hand, it, it seems appealing and, uh, and the only way to make friends. It's going to be really hard to resist that temptation. You may have messed up already. Well, look, Jesus knows what it's all like. He's experienced the pressure. He appreciates what you're going through. So be honest. Cry out. Ask for help. And trust him. And it applies for us all. In whatever situation we're in. Jesus joins in with us. But secondly, Jesus is much greater than us. Jesus is much greater than us. Remember the opening claim from the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It was backed up by two testimonies from the Old Testament and John the Baptist. And this is the third and the great one. Verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. There's a lot going on here. The heavens, the skies above, torn open in some way. And the Spirit of God in the form of the dove coming down on Jesus. This is a unique moment. People have received the Holy Spirit before, but never like this. With our wider knowledge from the Bible, we know that this is uh, two persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit coming in support of the Divine Son. And then to complete it, the Father speaks. Says 13 words in English, 10 words in Greek. But these are absolutely packed full of meaning and content. Each phrase could take us to various different places in the Old Testament to see the magnitude of what is being said. You are my son. And what do you think of? Maybe you think of Adam, who was called the first son of God. Or we think of Israel, who God called his firstborn son after rescuing Israel from Egypt. Or we think of the kings like David and Solomon, who were given the title son of God. So Jesus is the new king. God says so. But even more than any of those claims, we realize that Jesus is actually divine. He's the son within God the Trinity. My son whom I love, or in fact, my son the beloved. And that's a special Old Testament idea as well. One who has a unique place of love. Isaac was the beloved son of Abraham, the special one. Jesus is the beloved son of God, the special one. If you know actually the story of Abraham and Isaac, 
you could consider the idea of who ends up being sacrificed. My son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The father is delighted with the son. Everything Jesus has done in his life is pleasing to God. But that's an Old Testament idea as well. Isaiah 42, the passage we had read, uh, one of the servant songs prophesying about the one who would come and save the world. It began like this. Here is my servant whom whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. It's the same idea. And the next line, I will put my spirit on him, which makes sense of the dove. This is a declaration that Jesus is also the chosen servant, the one who the rest of that passage says will bring justice protect the weak, open the eyes of the blind, generally restore blessing, bring life. It's all happening through him. Oh, it's just everything in these few words. Jesus is God the Son, the promised King, the Beloved, the servant sent to save us. He is everything. There are great worldly titles around but none of them compare to this. Think of some of the big ones. The King of England, or the President of the United States of America, or the UN Secretary General, or maybe some of your sporting ones, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. None of these compare. Right here at the beginning of the gospel, we're told of Jesus' cosmic status. He is the most important person ever. But from this point on, this status is, is largely cloaked, is hidden. And we now watch Jesus, knowing this for ourselves, but the people in the story don't. It's like one of those murder mysteries where, where the, the viewer sees the murder happen and we know who did it. But then we watch, knowing more than the characters in the story. So we'll get moments where something happens. Jesus says something or people react and and we'll think, ah, yes. That's because he's the son of God. I think there's a bit more to it though as well as we go on to the temptation. He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. We've noted the Old Testament uh, significance of the wilderness, the place of hardship and temptation, but also the place of hope for revival. So what's happening when Jesus goes there? He's joining in, yes, but he's also doing something more. He goes there and he steps into the ring with Satan. First thing he does, his status is at a cosmic level and so's his task to confront Satan. Jesus' mission in the gospel will be to defeat Satan. And we'll see it in loads of places through the gospel. There's all this demon opposition, lots of it. It's puzzling to many first-time readers. Um, it's this like running skirmish between uh, Jesus and Satan. 
But you see how easily every time Jesus wins. And we'll see Jesus tempted a few times, up to and finally in the Garden of Gethsemane. Will he do the will of his Father? He does. He resists sin like no one else ever did. He's stronger than Satan. And he will ultimately overcome at the cross. It looks like the moment when Satan wins, but only in a worldly sense. In the cosmic spiritual battle, the cross and the resurrection are Jesus' victory. He's no ordinary man. It's no ordinary role. He will defeat Satan. He will set us free from sin. He finally brings life in the wilderness, streams of living water. And if you think about it, how does it all end up for us? We're forgiven our sins. We're welcomed in as children of God. And what does God say about us? You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And that's a remarkable development, isn't it? Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Now, this is all the claim isn't it? The claim of Mark's gospel. So what do we make of it? Every week there are people who aren't Christians with us. We love having you here. It's great that you're here. Um, We'd love to help you consider Jesus. The best thing you can do then is read Mark's gospel. Give it a go. Read it. See what you think. What do you make of this claim? You'll see it again and again and you'll have to decide what you think. Will we believe? Will we say, yep, I think Mark's claim is true. I've seen the evidence. I believe in Jesus. Or will we say, no, I don't think it adds up. I think something else is true. You better be clear on what that other thing is, though. Give it a go. Give it a read. Christians, We have accepted this by definition of becoming a Christian. We have affirmed that he is the Lord. But is it real in our lives? Is he this big to us? I wonder, do we have a passing interest in Jesus or a devoted interest in Jesus? Well, might I suggest that we could all do with growing our interest in Jesus. And we can do that by reading the Bible Coming to church, being part of a small group, joining the CU if you're a student. He's the son of God. We've got to be interested in him. And do we speak well of him? Don't take his name in vain, of course. But more, speak warmly of him. Bring him into conversation. If he's that important, it's very natural for me to bring my wife and kids into conversation But why not my Lord? And do we live for him? 
He's worth living for. Those battles you'll face this week as a university student. He knows. He cares. He loves you so much. He's given everything to save you. So remember, he's more important than those students putting pressure on you. Jesus joined in with us. And that's a wonderful thing. But Jesus is also much greater than us. And those things too, paired together, become our hope. He does bring us life in the wilderness. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. Thank you that he came and he cares and he experienced life that we have. Thank you that he loves us so much. Lord, we praise you that, Jesus, you are so much greater than us. Thank you that uh, you overcame Satan. You've had the victory and you do bring us new life. Please, Lord, give us hope. Give us faith. For those here who don't uh, yet know what they think, please help them to see Jesus and, and come to a conclusion in their minds. Lord, for us all, please help us to know Jesus and to live for him and with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.